Hello, friends, and welcome back to Real Talk. I'm your host, David Steele, along with my co-host, Laura Orris. Today, or yesterday, was the 50th anniversary of the release of one of the greatest movies ever made, and is number three on the AFI's Top 100 list, and that is The Godfather. Today, we'll, we will be discussing this movie in depth. The film was directed by Francis Ford Coppola and was nominated for an astounding 11 Oscars going on to win three including Best Picture. It is widely considered to be one of blueprints of any good mobster. Before we get started with our topic today, I just wanted to remind our listeners, if you like what you're listening to, don't forget to follow us where you can find your favorite podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at wannabe-rounder or on Instagram at dcaduto. What about you, Aurora? Hey, David. Good to be back. And such an important topic we're going to talk today. The Godfather is definitely one of those movies that we cannot get enough of, right? I agree. So let's start all the way back. This movie was released by Paramount Pictures actually yesterday, 50 years ago. That's that's hard to believe. And the budget was only a mere $6 million. At that time, it was quite, it was quite significant, but yes. I don't know if it, it could be considered a low-budget movie, though, at that point. I don't think it was because it was a Paramount release already, so, yeah. right? Yes. It actually went on to gross almost $250 million worldwide, but 136 of that came here in the States. But more importantly, it was nominated for 11 Oscars. This movie took the Hollywood by storm, and they noticed. It ended up winning three of them, Best Picture of the 1972 Oscars, Best actor, Marlon Brando, which he respectfully refused the Oscar. And we'll get into that a little bit later. And then the best adapted screenplay that was taken from Mario Puzo's book. And he helped co-write the, the screenplay. So tell me, what were your thoughts on the movie first? Or had you seen it before? Well, I think this is the kind of movie also it's important to put in context. It's a movie that was released 50 years ago. So neither you or I, like none of us, we were born when it was released. So we definitely did not watch it because it was like, oh, it's just fresh, you know? I think we've both watched because there was some influence. So when I first saw The Godfather, I believe I was in college. So I was probably 20 years old when I first watched this movie. And I did because... Friends of mine were talking about it, right? Like, and I was in college at the time in journalism school, and the narrative of, the, of this movie was very contemplated as well in the classroom. So, at twenty, I thought it was good. At thirty-four, I think it is great. Yeah, I mean, it's. Then I have to agree with you. I mean, the first time I saw The Godfather, I was about twenty. And I was in a film class and then we had to basically dissect the film. And then I went back and I actually sat and watched all three of them, spent like 12 hours and watched all three of them. I didn't really understand it. But today I look back and it's just amazing what Coppola did. So I actually went through and took notes of the whole movie. But even the opening sequence, you see this man, first you hear a voiceover and then you hit you see this man speaking with the Godfather. And what Coppola did, who's got five Oscars, by the way, for this and the Godfather too, but that's another whole, that's a different podcast. He used the camera so well. He had the man speaking to the Godfather and all you see is the camera moving back. And all you see is the back of the head of the Godfather basically 
what he was doing is he was teasing the audience and showing that the Godfather had this much power over somebody that he could basically get him or somebody else to do whatever he wanted. He influence is, is, is the word I'm looking for. He had that much influence. And it was just, just even the opening five minutes of it is just unbelievable. Yeah. So he goes in and the man wants vengeance for his daughter. And so the first 25 minutes of the film, which you would never see this today, was only the wedding and business. And what he did, what the director did was he, so anybody who's not familiar with the term, it's called cross-cutting. Cross-cutting is when you have two scenes and you go back and forth. So you're, you're showing two settings, but you're going back and forth. The first 25 minutes, minutes of this movie was all cross-cutting. That's it. Business and the wedding. Wedding and the business. And and he got away with it. Well, it's just because he wants to, I think, his idea was to show how this is a family business. There's not a separation. I don't think it's, you know, I don't think there's a separation there. That's why, you know, the, the change of scenes, like, yes, go to the office and then to the party. But honestly, everything is combined. The yeah. family is the business. And it was genius how he was able to have the whole family there. At, so the setting was a wedding and he had the whole family. He had Everybody that was going to be in the film for the rest of the movie was in that one setting. You had Sonny, you had Fredo, you eventually have Michael, you have the Godfather himself, you have Connie, you have all of these people. And they're all going to be, we're going to find out later on in the film what the story is. It's interesting to say, for me, the Godfather is Michael. Yes. And he, so this is really two movies. So actually, the, there's, a, there's a scene right when Michael arrives at the wedding and he's sitting with his new wife, Kay. And Kay, so Johnny Fontaine, who's a big star, comes in and all the girls love him. And so they say, you know, how did he get out of the business arrangement? And he said, well, you know, he came back with a gun and he said, look, here's a thousand dollars. Take her or leave it. So he says, you know, I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. And that he was talking about his father at that time. And Kay says, well, isn't that, is this who your family is? And he's, the quote, the exact quote he says is, that's my family, not me, Kay. But of course, later on in the film, he actually turns into what he, what she despises the most. So that in itself, he's, he's setting up everything to come later on in the film. That's natural. What I think about this movie, though, is that I cannot think about an alien and not think about the E.T. that was presented to me in the movie. And the same goes to mafia. I cannot think about, you know, Italian family, part of a mafia that doesn't have the aesthetic that, you know, Coppola gave to the Godfather. So I think he set up like a he kind of set up the stage for other movies that came he, after. He gave the blueprint of what a mafia movie should be. Exactly. Look at every single mafia movie that's been made since that time. And I'm not even talking about The Godfather 2, Goodfellas, Casino. Just mm -hmm. the list goes on. I mean, I'm excluding a lot, but those two movies in itself, right, taken right out of it. So, no, you're right. And that, so that blueprint laid the, the groundwork for all these movies to come. So, 
you know, it finally climaxes at 26 minutes with the daughter having the dance, you know, the godfather having the dance. But then we move on to, which is another, every single, it's almost like every single scene in this movie is famous for one reason or another. I mean, you can just pick every single scene out of this movie, whether it's the, the horse's head, which, I mean, was, you know, it was gruesome, but he got the, the even the way he set it up, like you see this big, you see this big shot and he's got this huge house and you see four or five different shots to show how extravagant this is. And then you see one, one event that happens. So Tom Hagen, who's the lawyer for the family, goes to talk to the studio head and says, look, he needs the part to get his career back on track. He says, no, of course, $600,000 horse his head is laying in his, uh, his bed as a result. But it's just he slows it down enough to where you want to see what happens. Even when he was having the meeting, you know, even the meetings. So there's a meeting with another one of the five families to actually get in the drug trade. And, you know, you see the characters even have morals. Like the godfather says no. Absolutely. Even though it would make him more money. He says no. I think everyone has their boundaries, right? And I yeah. think that's the, that's the whole idea is not to demonize them, to explain the complexity of that. You know, we all have the good and bad within us and they all have morals. You know, like there's a lot of codes among the mafia. We all know that, too. You know, like, oh, this is this is, a, you know, like someone's weddings or this or that, like they, you do not interfere in a in a marriage. Doesn't matter what happens. So, yeah, I think that's the, that's the whole point is to show that they do have morals. Yeah, I mean, they're other, while they're characters, they're still people. They're still human. Well, absolutely. I think yeah, that's that's when you know, like, it comes a point you don't know who is the bad guy or the good guy because there's none. You know, you get really upset when Sonny is killed because he was like fighting for his sister or something, but he was also a mafia guy. You know, he was in the in it for the game, so he knew what could happen to him. You even saw his temper right at the beginning at the wedding where he takes one of the photographer's cameras and just smashes it down. You knew what kind of person he was going to be off the top. So when his father... You know that that scene was not on the script? Really? Yeah, the camera, the, the whole getting the camera was not on the script. Well, that's, just, that's just good acting at that point. I think that's why... So I think good films are also organically made. You have to have a great script. But you have to have some human heart pumping it throughout the the filming. So, for instance, you mentioned the the you know the beginning right there, the for the opening scene. Uh, Don Corleone is holding a little cat. You remember that? Yeah. You yeah. know that that cat was a stray cat that was just walking around the set, and then Marlon Brando was like, hmm, "I think it would be cool to actually have this cat." So he got the cat. Brought it to set. And the fun fact about it is that the cat was so happy with all the attention that he was purring so much that he interfered in a microphone. So he had to lip sync most of his lines. So I think part of the movie, part of the success, that, that's the whole thing. It is good because it's also kind of organic. There's so much of them. Like the guy who uh, plays Lucas Brasi, for instance, he was legit nervous about 
being on set with Marlon Brando. So he, you know, many interviews he gave later, he said, that was not me acting. That was a reality show, basically. I was actually nervous, you know, it's kind of like intimidating to share the microphone and the camera with someone you admire and you've been watching your whole life. So it's a good movie because it's also very honest. Yeah. It gives a a portrayal of, I mean, kind of getting off the topic, but even domestic violence. I mean, we, we see one of the characters, Connie, is in a, in, a, in a really bad marriage. And so, of course, that's Sonny's sister. And he goes over to her place one day, and next thing you know, he was really upset, and he goes to beat the crap out of the guy. And he says, if you ever do that again, I'll kill you. I mean, it, so it really, it showed... The, it, we just, I just keep going back to this, the human side of it, how marriages work and how they have to keep, try to keep them together. I mean, you see Kay and, and, you know, Michael and Michael has to go over to Europe for over a year because he, he, he shoots a police officer. I know we're fast forwarding the movie a little bit, but one of the big reasons or big parts is the Dawn's out actually shopping, getting fruit and because we assume that it's because he turned down the drug trade proposal and he had shot in the street, survives. But now Michael has to slowly start to take. Sonny is now in the lead. And then when Michael goes to the hospital, police officer bangs him up. And this scene of the whole three hours, this one scene is genius. Now, what I was describing to you before about the, the man talking to the Godfather as the camera pulls out, this is the exact opposite. You see Sonny in the room. You see Tom in the room. You see Luca. You see another person in the room. And he says, look, they want to have it the meeting, right? Set up the meeting and make sure it's a public place where I feel comfortable, where there are people. And he said he's going to search. If we can find us a way to plant a gun, I'll go in there and kill him. And they all thought he was kidding. And they said, yeah, you know, Sonny, which is... Is saying, oh, you got to get out, bang. And that's when you see, as he's describing it, the camera slowly pans in. And when that camera pans in, Michael is now turning from this war hero, innocent person. Now he's starting to think like a killer. He's starting to think like a leader. He's starting to think like a dog. What he has to do to eliminate the competition. And subsequently, he goes, guns planted. And he goes and he kills the police officer. You know, he goes over, he has to be, disappear, go over to Europe for, for a year. And then falls in love. And unfortunately, his wife is killed. And then he comes back to the state. But he's completely different. Even in, even in Italy, he, is, he gets the hand of a, a, a woman that he fancied by using the, I will grant you a favor if you give me your daughter's hand. So you see all of these things start to come into play. And I mean, I was saying to you off camera that this is really two different movies. The fact that he's able to put so much into three hours and have two different movies is astounding. And even to make a sequel to that, which is another, is something for a different day, but it's an incredible tribute to him. I mean, I, I don't know how long the book was, but it's the only word I can really use to this even is masterpiece. The longevity of this, I've always said there were a couple of things. One is 
are there films like yours that are people modeling after yours? Which definitely, I mean, there's been a plethora of them. The the comedic, some of the, I won't say called comedic, but famous lines, leave the gun, take the cannolis, I'll make him an offer he can't refuse. I mean, there's, there's still things that are being said to this day. Nothing, there won't be another movie like this for another 50 years, I think. That's just my own personal. And even then, it's going to be hard to top how they actually, how they make it. I mean, I know that, you know, there were rumblings about a remake. I hope that never happens. Yeah, I think nobody does. But um, such a massive, I don't know. I feel like it's a different context, too. Like, back then, it would be, like, a few movies a day, and everyone would talk about it, and we'd get together about it. Now we have, like, a new movie every day of our lives, you know? And we have the streamings and the TV shows. So it's, it's kind of sometimes also unfair, because I do believe they're very creative minds. But to get to the status of being a classic like that is like, it's just a product of a time, I guess. I don't know if we're ever going to leave to see another one because there's just so many things out there. I agree with you. And I think the biggest thing is, I mean, amongst other things, was the cast. I mean, that cast, I mean, even part of the second, second film, but that cast is second to none. Marlon Brando, who won an Oscar for Best Actor, which, by the way, I was actually so I did a little research into this, and he actually respectfully refused the Oscar due to the poor treatment of American Indians in entertainment. Now, why that's prevalent is, I mean, I actually watched a whole seven-minute interview with him on the Dick LeBet show many years after the film, and he basically said, "It's and we have it today." But we don't call it discrimination, whether it's Chinese Americans, whether it's Mexican Americans in film, whether it's African Americans in film, it still goes on. I mean, all you have to do is take a look at the Oscars a couple of years ago, where there was not one of all of the filmmakers that were nominated for an Oscar. One of them was African American. And that was 50 years. So getting back to Brando, though, so he respectfully refused the Oscar, which, I mean, there have been others to do it, but he wanted to take a stand. And, and I can understand why. Back to my point, though, about the, about the cast. The cast is second to none. Marlon Brando, Diane Keaton, Robert Duvall. I mean, in the second one, you have Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Oscar winner after. It's just an amazing amount of talent. You, you, it's rare to see that kind of talent on the screen at one time an overflowing abundance of talent. I don't know. I disagree with you. Really? Absolutely. I think Euphoria, all those kids are amazing. They're great actors. Yeah. And you see, I don't know, even Nine Perfect Stranger. I think actually, I mean, we say all that because we have many actors who actually won international prizes. That is rare. It's very rare to have, you know, I don't know, 10 people who won an Oscar on the same script because it's expensive. But uh, I don't know if I don't think it's, I don't think it's just because of that. I don't think it's that unusual to see great acting together. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's why they, they can do it. I mean, because they're great with their craft, but getting back to your point, it's so a couple of years ago, the mold was actually broken. 
and Parasite, which was actually a Korean movie, actually won the Best Picture Oscar. Never before. I mean, it had won Best Foreign Film. It had won all these awards at, at like these different film festivals and everything else, cons and all these other ones. But it will be now that Parasite has actually won Best Picture, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens this Sunday. Because Drive My Car is a Japanese film that not many people have heard of. And it's, I mean, I haven't seen it personally. I'm So here's a little tease, but I'm actually trying to watch all of these movies. And I'll get into a couple of recommendations later on before we leave. But yeah, it's one of those things where the Drive My Car has got an excellent, excellent shot at winning the top prize for Best Picture. And this will be the second time in like five years. And a foreign film has won the best picture at the Oscars, which is like the ultimate, ultimate prize. They don't care if, I mean, technical and, you know, they, they don't mind. They, they like to win acting, but it's, and we had this discussion, I think, last week. People don't like to read subtitles. That's just American, American audiences just don't like to do that. So I think this is why that kind of small little film didn't work. The acting was great. That's what I'm saying. So then it's like the whole thing about I don't think it's just the acting, you know, for for The Godfather. So I think it is great acting, of course, as it should be in, in a masterpiece, of course. But uh, I think it's more than that. But I definitely think that it's a lot to do with the context, you know, like with uh, 50 years ago, the, the, the type of movies that you know were being released and, and all that. So I do not think that if Godfather was released today, it would be that much of a hit. So, okay, on that point then, if, let's say, two, three years from now, let's say they greenlight it, let's say they get actors, and do you think then, same story, same same group of people, you don't think then, and, and I, would, I would tend to agree with you, I think that when it comes to remakes, even if the remake is bad, it's still, the original is still out there. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So there have been a lot of films that I can, well, not a lot, but not off the top of my head can I think of a lot of films that have, okay, okay maybe one that's a terrible remake, but the original is still out there. And that's Ben-Hur. The remake of Ben-Hur was a complete bust. But guess what? We still have the 1941. The Shining, The Secret of the Eyes, there are so many. So... Even if the film is remade, the original is still out there. And I think more people would tend to gravitate toward the original than the remake in that scenario. But I would be curious to see how much more of a budget that they would get. I mean, it, you know, and we discussed this in the beginning. Six million dollars is nothing. I mean, it was big back in 1972. Well, that's what I'm saying. So it's proportional, maybe, because... Exactly. Yeah, it's proportional. So it was so it wasn't like a low budget movie. It was actually a very expensive movie at the time. So back to the film though, it, it was we see we see Michael go to Vegas and basically once again he uses that the line. So he Michael comes back from Italy, he takes over the he takes over the um the business and now he's running things and so they want to get into Vegas. And so they want to go to the casino and, and buy a casino. So they, Michael sits down with Mo Green and says, you know, 
before he comes in. And Fredo, who had been out there, he's like, oh, I'll make him an offer he can't refuse. The same as his father. There were a lot of great callbacks. And callbacks can be, if they're done well, incredible. And this one has a lot of, at least two or three callbacks. I'll make him an offer he can't refuse. And even as this film is coming to a close, you see an, an older father in the dawn who's now recovered but is retired. Michael taking over the family and really making all of the moves. And I thought that was kind of a, you know, looking back on that now is really kind of a sweet father and son moment. I personally think that I, even though I like the other two movies, I feel like it was supposed to be written on a one thing. It's like, it, it should have ended. Oh, absolutely. With him, you know, when Michael became the other father, that's where it should end, I guess. I cannot yeah. avoid but thinking that it's like, yeah, it's just a money-making machine now, you know? Yeah. I don't know if, no, I don't know this to be true or false. I don't know if there was ever plans to do a sequel. I mean. Well, what I've read is that from the get-go, it was not. But during the production of the movie, it was already such a buzz that Paramount secured a second movie because of the buzz that it created. And so it was in the beginning. So all I know is that in the second one, Coppola did not want to direct that one. He wanted Martinez Scorsese to do so. He had such a, such a night. It was such a nightmare for him to do the first one that he was like, I'm out. I don't want to do it. And he just wanted to be the producer. And they were not on board with the Scorsese and all that. And I do know also that Al Pacino, they almost, they were kind of annoyed with Al Pacino for a while because I believe he didn't want to, I think they offered him seven, $5 million. So almost the whole budget of the first movie. And he thought it wasn't enough. He wanted $7 million plus share of the profit of the box office. But then they were like, okay, if that's what you want. We're going to just kill your character yeah. and that's it. And, you know, we're yeah. not going to do it. And so he accepted the $5 million. Very, very generous of him. <laughs> very right? generous. Yeah. So that's the whole thing for me too. And we talked about it on our previous podcast. It's like, I cannot avoid but feeling a little sorry when it becomes about money and not more about, I care about this. You know, Absolutely. not saying that like we all care about money, right? Like we all like money and we all want to make more money and we love spending money. We're all great at that. But um, it's just sad, you know, like there's all this back and forth. I want two million more and I want this and I want that. It's like, dude, just be in love with the project as much as we are. Like not the project itself, but there's so many people who love the movie and care about it, you know. So I feel like there's a little sadness in me. And that's why I also I think that money sometimes destroys. There's a, a beautiful song in Portuguese that translated at some part, at some part says the strength or the power of the money to create and destroy beautiful things. And I feel like that goes for Hollywood too. You can create a beautiful movie and then you want to suck more money out of that and you're going to destroy it with the sequel. What I'm saying is the case of The Godfather, though. Important reminder. Yeah, yeah, I mean that the Godfather is the, the second one is actually among critics, among a lot of people that are movie aficionados, better than the original. I mean, there is only and this is a whole podcast for another time, but there is only a handful, maybe like five or six movies that can make that claim. The Dark Knight, better than Batman Begins. Now, mind you, when we say this, 
all film is subjective. But The Dark Knight is, was voted the best film in the 2000s, hands down. I mean, that's 10 years of movies. The Godfather 2, better than the original, if that's even possible. And that was nominated for 11 Oscars. And by the way, The Godfather 2 won Best Picture. <laughs> so Empire Strikes Back. Every single person, not every single person, eight out of ten people, if they're going to say, what is your favorite Star Wars movie or sequel or whatnot, because there have been three trilogies, it's Empire Strikes Back. I mean, Star Wars is right up there in either number one or number two, just because of, of what we discussed previously and how it changed. The Godfather did to Hollywood what Star Wars did to visual effects, special effects. It's that simple. So, but The Empire Strikes Back in 1981 completely blew everybody away. And that sequel is better than the original. I know there are a few others out there I'm not, I'm blanking on. But so getting back to your point though, the sequel, it's so difficult that a sequel can be better than the original. It is so difficult because the expectation has been set. The bar has been set. And now that the bar has been set, everybody wants to say, okay, you've got to get over the bar. So they're expecting you to not only climb over the bar, but it blow the bar away. And when it doesn't happen, they're like, oh, man. And that's where film fans, they really. Yeah, and it, I think part of us is like we all created already the I mean, when a movie ends on on a note, like on an open note, which are some of my favorites, you kind of imagine what is going to happen from there on, right? It's like, oh, this is going to happen. They're going to do this or that. And then when you see something that is different than what you wanted and what you thought, it's it's frustrating in a way. You know, it's hard to, like you said, you create those expectations that are not met. So... It, and it's challenging to surprise, like, okay, that's not what it was planning, but it's better. That's, that's yeah. And this movie, let, let's, let's be real, this is shown in film schools across the country. I mean, as we speak, professors and teachers, film they're talking about this movie. This is the, this is one of the, I mean, I remember going to it and watching this in a, a film class. This was one of those movies that he wanted us to sit down and watch. No, I didn't really appreciate it at the time, but I mean, just scene after scene after scene, I mean, probably next to the Michael scene, which I was describing in the office, the other scene that's really quintessential to this whole movie is the baptism scene. So he is decided to become Godfather to Connie Shiloh. And as he's doing this, he's plotting. So his father just passed, and now they're coming out of the the uh, service. And as so, he goes to actually become godfather to Connie's baby. And as he's doing this, he's having every single one of the heads five families killed. You have the juxtaposition of life coming into the world and death being taken out of the world. Unbelievable. And how it's done, you know, I'll say this about the kills. The kills were, you know, some of them were quick. I mean, whether it's being strangled, you know, the guy get taken into the, uh, I mean, that, the, the back seat or a couple to the back of the head. Of course, that's one of the famous lines, leave the gun, take the cannolis. 
Sonny getting killed, which, by the way, when I saw that again, I don't know. Have you seen the movie Train Day with Denzel Washington? Mm, okay. No, I don't think so. Okay, so anyways, there's it's about, without getting too in-depth about it, it's about a rogue cop who's teaching a rookie on his first day to become a undercover drug narcotics officer. Anyways, at the end of the film, Alonzo, the main character, gets killed by the Russians. That scene completely took me back to Train Day. You can go, you can put it, find it on YouTube. But it was like, oh my gosh, it was the same thing. But it was, so the kills were quick, but they were also sometimes, he had that nice mixture. It wasn't too bloody, but it wasn't too quick and painless. So, but once again, you know, at the end of the film, what, you know, I was talking about earlier, another great job of prospect. You know, he's taking the, the, the vows, you know, and the priest says, well, do you not renounce Satan? And as you hear his voice, you know, all of these people are getting killed. And it's just, it is so well done. Yeah, I, for me, what is interesting about that part is that that's when he becomes the godfather, literally, you know? So that's the show of his, his powers. It's not really, you know, about the baby. It's about the fact that he's a godfather. And that's yeah. his baptism, you know? Have yeah, you and I hadn't considered that. No, you're right. And how he is taking, he's now becoming, he, he's not only, not only is the baby being christened, but he's being christened the godfather. That is correct. That's yeah, and and that's and that's a great way of looking at it, which I had never even considered. And as he's being christened, he's doing all of these deeds. And I think this is what you see in, in the third movie. Many many years later, is he finally has a conscience. At the time, it was just more. I mean, he says it. You know, when he's talking with Sonny in the in the office, it's not personal, Sonny. It's just business. And he's always had this mantra, and. In the third movie, you really start to see the Michael start to come, the human Michael, if you will, start to come back because he realizes all of the bad deeds he's done and he's trying to redeem himself. And I think that's what that third movie is all about, is redemption, at least for me. But that's, so it's, yeah, th this movie, I mean, and I said it was third on the uh, AFI's list. There's only two other movies. Citizen Kane which anybody who doesn't know Citizen Kane, Orson Welles made that when he was 24 years old, directed that. We'll never, there will never be a, a movie that will always be the number one, always. And Casablanca, Ingrid Bergman. I love, about that. I love that one. I, I mean, The Wizard, I mean, and you could put The Wizard of Oz and God and Wind there and, you know, mix that four and five. Those three movies, but that is just an unbelievable, the fact that it's the third of a hundred great films. I mean, Coppola's got five Oscars. And people, they remember him for The Godfather. But, you know, he is a great director, too. I mean, he did a great rendition of Dracula. The movie Dracula made, I want to say, 1995, 96. Big cast. Well, at the time. At the time. You've got to understand Anthony Hopkins, Keanu Reeves, Winona Ryder, Gary Oldman, who played Dracula. But that was a great movie. Great in the sense of, we all know the story of Dracula. It was great how the, he was able to direct the talent and, and do it. 
was it the greatest film that he's no because when you say a man when you say Francis Ford Coppola nine out of ten people that's his master class it's that simple absolutely I mean it's like what you were talking about how he didn't want to direct the sequel it's like George Lucas George Lucas hated directing he never wanted to direct I mean after he did the Phantom Menace whatever you thought of the film he didn't want to come back and do a second one. So we just handed the reins off. There are some filmmakers, and it's interesting because he, well, they grew up in the same era. I mean, who had four major influences in the 70s? Martin Scorsese, Francis Ford Coppola, George Lucas, and Steven Spielberg. And they, I mean, so that, and there was a lot to do with it, you know. But those four really defined the generation. They really defined the generation. And, I mean, they, they saw each other's films, they gave each other ideas, and so, but this... And I believe there are, I mean, if you're listening to this right now, just be aware that I'm not trusting my memory completely, but I do have a very good friend of mine, his name is Cesar Charloni, we're going to have him eventually talking to us here. He is from Uruguay and he's probably right now 65 or he's 70. Anyway, he used to teach cinema in Havana, Cuba. You know that, I don't know if you know, but Havana, Cuba has a super strong traditional movie school. And if I'm not mistaken, it was created by Coppola. And Charloni would tell me about the macaroni dinners that he used to make. And all those huge cinematographers and directors would go to Havana, have a great time. And, and it's still today, it's a very strong business for Cuba is the movie school. Like lots of people from many different parts of the world, like maybe they cannot come here because, you know, dollars expensive and U.S. in general is expensive. So they all go to Cuba where they first started the movie school and they would all party together all night long. But I do remember, I think it's Coppola. They used to have like this, this pasta night with a good bolognese or something like this. We're going to have to double check with Charloni next time that he, he joins us here. So that's a curiosity. Like they used to hang out together because they were also friends, you know. There are not a lot of people doing the same thing at the same time with the same recognition. So I feel like it's natural that they gravitate towards each other and they, you know, help each other out or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that generation, when you, and then that's a fantastic story, by the way, that but when you get that, when you just take a look at those four men and what they've done over 50 years, I mean, Spielberg, Spielberg's, I think I want to say he's like 74, 75. He's still directing. He's up for a Best Director Oscar <laughs> on Sunday for West Side Story. I mean, the man is just this if, and I'm not saying he will, he's got an outside shot. But if he wins Best Director, I mean, I, he was already the greatest of all time my opinion, just because of what he was able to accomplish, whether it was E.T., whether it was Raiders, whether it was going and do something like Player One, whether it was War Horse, Saving Private Ryan. I mean, I'm just <laughs> off the Lincoln. Huh? And it's just unbelievable. And then, you know, how one man, you want to talk about defining a generation, that one man, it's kind of like, I'm going to put it in sports terms. You have a coach who's been there for 20, 30, 40 years. 
and he has all these assistant coaches and they go off and get jobs called the coaching tree. Well, it's the same premise. You have this one director and all of these filmmakers branch out and all of these actors branch out. And but Spielberg is, and there is no right or wrong. Who's the favorite of all time? Who's the greatest? Because it's all, I was having a conversation with somebody today. It's a generational thing. So what I may say, oh, I love Steven Spielberg because somebody else would say, what about Alfred Hitchcock? Psycho, Birds, Your Window, Vertigo. So there is, and he never won an Oscar. I think what we do today is we quantify everything by dollars and cents. I think we quantify everything by awards, how many Oscars you have. Everybody says Daniel Day-Lewis is the best Oscar, best actor of all time. Does he? Yes, he has. He's the only man ever to win three best acting Oscars. Is he the best of all time? No. Clark Gable, Humphrey Bogart, Tom Hanks. Tom, I mean, the list, there's so many names. It's all a generational thing. But what Coppola did with this one movie and the actors, the actors, and, and that's why it won Best Picture. It, it, to me, Best Picture encompasses the acting. It encompasses the screenplay, which he won Best Screenplay for. It encompasses the costumes. It encompasses the hair and makeup. It encompasses the cinematography. It encompasses editing. All of these things. So, you know, it's it. this movie defined a generation. It will be in we, I think, when I say we, I mean a culture. These a society look at something, as I just was saying, we try to quantify with dollars and cents. But it's not, it has to, take, you have to take time. It's not what it's done now, because we can all see what it's done now. What is it going to do? How is it going to have the longevity in 20 years? And I think that's, take a move, I'm just going to name one off the top of my head, but take one like Lincoln. Lincoln's been out for, I think, 10 years or so. But that movie, 25 years from now, is still going to have longevity. And it's, we said about story. I, I'm so glad. Any film fan, if you're going to watch a movie, and, and I've tried, I'm of the school of thought, you have to watch it on the edit. Go try and sit down and watch it on AMC <laughs> because it doesn't work. This is why filmmakers make films the way they do because they don't want it stripped down and torn away. And I, I'm, yeah, this movie, I mean, I, there's so many, you know, Accolades that I could go on, on, and on. So we're gonna. So let's move in. I wanted to talk about recommendations real quick. Did you see anything this week that you, whether it was a TV show or maybe it was music or a film that you said, oh, I'd like to say something about? I've watched Nine Perfect Strangers. I know there was a little delay on that, but I thought it was good. It was fun. It was interesting. I think it is. It adds some spice to a friendly conversations with your friends on a Friday. You know, it's not going to change your life, but it's going to entertain you for a little while. And it's going to get you curious on psychedelics. <laughs> nice. nice. And where can people find that? Uh, I think it's HBO, right? It's HBO. Uh, yeah. Paul Kidman yeah. And some some pretty good people there, too. But uh, it's worth it's definitely worth seeing, even though I don't think it's the best of Nicole Kidman's work. 
She's up for an Oscar on Sunday. So, I mean, so I sat down yesterday. And so my recommendations are this. I saw two movies yesterday. I saw, I'll start with the one I didn't like. And that was Power of the Dog. This had, and this is on Netflix. So anybody can sit down and watch it. Nominated for 14 Oscars. I, now I've seen Westerns before. Unforgiven, Forsaken. I've seen Westerns. I thought this was one of the slowest movies I've seen in probably three years. And I'm going back probably to the 2018 or 2019 Clint Eastwood movie that called The Mule. It was that slow. I wasn't expecting anything to break next week. How Cumberbatch got nominated for Best Acting Oscar, I don't know. I mean, I'm the Academy baffles me and, and whatnot. It's a matter of fact, speaking of the Academy, they just, so they didn't invite, speaking of West Side Story too, they didn't invite Rachel Ziegler to the Oscars, which I found kind of interesting. Then 24 hours later, because of the uproar, they backtracked and said, oh yeah, you can come, but you're going to be a presenter. Anyways, I digress because I don't know how this movie got nominated for 14 Oscars. A lot of it's technical. I get it. It had a lot of buzz behind it. Acting, I didn't care for. The one I loved, the one I recommend that everybody goes to see, if it's on Video On Demand or HBO Max, or if you can see it in your theater, go do it, is King Richard. This was one of the most uplifting, fun, entertaining times I've had in cinema in a long, long time. Definitely on my list. I'm going to watch that one. And Will Smith. And I've, I've yet to see, now mind you, I'm, I'm prefacing my disclaimer is I've not seen Tick, Tick, Boom, and I've not seen Being the Ricardos, un, and I've not seen Don't Look Up. I want to try and watch a couple tonight. Unbelievable. And the kids, one of them is actually up for a Best Supporting Actress Oscar. Wow. Lord, it was unbelievable. I got, ch- I was, I'll be honest with you, I got choked up a couple times. Like, yeah, it was that powerful. Before, and- just, just to wrap up, just on that note, I just want to give our audience, like, a, a curiosity. You know that the fact that we can tear up or get scared or taken away by a movie is actually a hypnosis. Yeah, it's powerful. It it is a hypnosis because your brain actually believes in the narrative. So you, because a hypnosis is you believe a suggestion. Someone is suggesting you something and you believe in this. And that's why, you, you know, it's movie, you know, it's made, you know, that, you know, the dog that just died, didn't die in real life. It's just fake, but you still get so emotional because your brain don't understand it. That's not true. You believe that suggestion and you embrace it. So good thing that King Richard did that to you and you got, you know, teared up a little bit and I cannot wait to see it. Hopefully yeah. I'll feel the same about it. Yeah. I think, I think that barring some sort of miracle with the next couple of movies, I think Will Smith finally gets his Oscar, which I'm really, really glad to see because he should, he should have been won a couple other times. And, but Anyways, on that note, so we're going to wrap it up. And next week, I thought that we would, speaking of anniversaries, I thought we would do something a little fun. We're going to actually do something called Happy Birthday Movies. And this is where you and I are going to talk about films that are turning 10, 20, 30, and oh my gosh, 40 years. 
godfather just turned 50. We'll talk about some that turned 40 years old. And we're going to talk about why we like them, why we didn't like them, and all that. And then in a couple of weeks, I know you said you had a guest coming on, but I will have, I'm going to reach out to a professor who's a film aficionado, and she's written some screenplays. She's not an academy level, but she has an award-winning screenplay writer and director. And we'll have her. So many good things coming up on this podcast. So, all right. Thank you very much. And we will see you next week. I'm David Kududa. And I'm Eluau Razen. And this has been Real Talk. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.